Hello, and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I am so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing Ash Wednesday, focusing particular attention on the Matthew and Isaiah readings. Our amazing guests this week are Dr. Sandra Montes, a singer, speaker, and writer who loves exploring her indigenous and Latina roots. She is the Dean of Chapel at Union Theological Seminary and recently published Becoming Real and Thriving in Ministry. She lives in Texas and New York. The Reverend Dr. Hilary Raining, Rector of St. Christopher's Church in Gladwin, Pennsylvania, and creator of The Hive, online spirituality and wellness digital community. And last but not least, the right Reverend Dion Johnson, who was born and raised in Barbados and immigrated to the United States at age 14. He was ordained as the 11th Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri in 2020. Welcome, friends. Thank you all so much for uh, being willing and and able to join us today. Um, I'm so excited that we're doing this. It's been very popular. And uh, I think people are really enjoying the information that they're getting from uh, these conversations. So welcome. And to start off, I'd just like to go around. And if you can tell me, uh, what do we need to keep in mind for Lent this year? Or maybe more specifically, this Ash Wednesday? Hillary? You know, I think this year, more than ever, um, Ash Wednesday calls us to a reminder of mortality. Uh, and, and there's been reminders all around of, of mortality. Uh, and, and what I think can sometimes get lost, though, in Ash Wednesday how, is that it's also a call to our hope, right? That even at the midst of graves, we can still make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. So as we think about mortality this year, my hope is that we won't, we won't get just caught in the dying, but we'll also remember the, the living that we are called to as well. Um, and to be offered that hope, to be offering that alleluia, even in the midst of Lent where we're not supposed to say it. Um, you know, so what's that justification about not being able to say something that we desperately need, not being able to feel fully the joy of life in a time when there's so much, so much death. I mean, I think that's that's the tension that we're we have to remember we're living in this Ash Wednesday. Sandra, I think more than ever we have been um, thinking about our diversity, you know, our differences—not just our similarities, but our differences. I think, and we're—I I believe, as you know, collectively, we've been a little more gentle with each other, more. Um, uh, compassionate. So I would love for us to just keep keep that during Ash Wednesday to remember that maybe I need ashes and another person says, I can't deal with that right now. Or, um, you know, our, dioc- our diocesan bishops are having to make these difficult decisions of what they're asking for their, um, their diocese to do. So I feel like uh, we should just be more gentle and just remember that Ash Wednesday is a call for us uh, to observance, of course, of different things, but whatever may be important to me may not be important to you or what I may need, you may not. And for us to just be 
okay with that and just hold each other during that time. Bishop Dion? Um, I, I will, in great company, because those are some amazing answers. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that to be reminded, this is a reflective journey, um, that the beginning of a reflective journey, that it's not just about rushing through this season of Lent, um, but to really spend some time in the wilderness that we find ourselves right now and reflect on what that actually means for our lives. Um, yeah. I, I really see Lent this year, um, which is ironic that our pandemic began in Lent last year um, mm -hmm. as kind of that wilderness experience. Um, and we tend to think of the wilderness as kind of the desert, but that's not necessarily yeah. the wilderness. The wilderness can be nice and green, um, mm -hmm. except that there's, there, there's reflection there. There's, there's a looking at self and asking, is this who I want to be? So it, it's kind of being reminded that that journey of self-reflection um, doesn't always happen out there in the wilderness. It has to happen in the interior self as well. Mm. Bishop, I'd, I'd love to respond to that because I think that's really right on. And the other, like, what makes it ring so true to me is the idea that we might be able to speak to people in this unique moment because it's Lent. Um, by that, I mean, you know, so many of our churches are maybe in a little state of arrested development, getting caught. Mm -hmm. Uh, in this Lenten season, and uh, because the pandemic started, so that's when this trauma moment started collectively. Um, but also, when you think of some of the the, the chief um, fasts during Lent, things like like Holy Saturday, that that pregnant pause uh, between uh, the moment where we we can feel the resurrection again, I kind of feel many of us are st are stuck there in our churches. Um, we maybe mm -hmm. haven't had communion, which is of course very Holy Saturday, right? We aren't aren't to take the uh, the the sacrament. Um, we maybe haven't been gathered. We maybe have been waiting like the women at the tomb for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So being able to speak to people saying like, wow, it's been a whole year. <laughs> we, you know, what, what can we do this Lent to help us get out of this arrested development and start moving towards uh, what's beyond the grave? Yeah. Well, I, part of the reason why I, I, I've been reflecting a bit on that is I did a visitation with, you know, 10 people um, at a church, we're, when I showed up, all the purple hangings from Lent last year were still up. They've not been in the building since last Lent, um, which, which is a sermon and a story unto itself. Um, but it really does make you think that this time of pandemic for the church, it's really a long Lent. Um, I mean, I've said to the Diocese of Missouri, this is our fomenting time. This is the time, you know, unless a weed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear much fruit. This is our time of being underground and figuring out the church that we want to be once we get to the other side of this pandemic. Because the reality is the church has already changed. We keep talking about the church that's going to come next or going back to normal. There's no going back to normal. Um, we move forward to the next normal and the church has fundamentally been changed. Um, and if we're not careful, we rush too quickly to get to what's on the other side of the pandemic, rather than saying, let's look at, let's take a hard look at the church and see what we need to jettison, what we need to acquire. Um, so it, it really goes with that journey of reflective and looking to see who we are. Mm. I think for me, I think of Lent, uh, in our culture, we have humblecha, which means crying for a vision, or people call it vision quests. And I often think of mm -hmm. Lent, sometimes Advent, as that time where we're really 
there to sort of deeply connect with the creator and kind of get a sense of, and almost it's like a recalibration of your compass, where you're headed and where you need to go. Um, mm. And I think, of course, in the winter time, uh, which often Ashwanik sort of falls in that kind of edge of winter, beginning of springtime, I think about like, that's the time when you see all that mortality, when we think about death and we think about um, life. So uh, let's talk about the, the gospel. Uh, so we have uh, Matthew, and there's a lot of conversation. Um, talks a lot of, kind of about the hypocrites and, you know, whenever you fast, don't look dismal. What what stands out for you or what do you think is important? Where do you connect with that? I'm going to go with irony. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have always found it absolutely ironic that we begin Lent by saying, you know, don't show that you're fasting. Don't show that you're doing anything different. And then you come get a big smudge of ashes on front on your forehead to show that you're fasting and doing something different. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so it, Lent really is that, you know, that interesting juxtaposition of two completely different things, you know, slow down, but reflect. Don't show you're fasting, but show that you're fast. I mean, it, it's kind of this, this, this interesting, um, back and forth. Um, but I, I, I love that Jesus is, is, is more saying something that, you know, most every Episcopalian, like we, we, Episcopalians are great at doing amazing ministry. We are terrible about telling people about it. Mm. <laughs> and so we, we have embodied this gospel really well. <laughs> A little too well. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I agree. I love that. I, for me, um, I, I really take comfort in the, in verse six, but whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. That verse to me, um, very much Bishop, like what you were saying too, it, it's, this has been our time for us to actually go into our, our, our room, our cell, right. You know, our, like the, the places where we are, um, and pray in secret. It maybe isn't how we want to be praying right now, but there is, there's deep spiritual value in it. Um, Rowan Williams has this very good little book on um, the desert mothers and fathers, and it's, it's called Silence and Honey Cakes, but he has these two chapters in it that kind of bring this together. Um, they're called Fleeing and Staying. Uh, the fleeing is all the stuff in the world that we can leave behind, mostly like projections and such. But the staying part is like go in your cell and stay there and the Holy Spirit will be able to find you there and work on you there. Like, in other words, stay there until the Spirit changes you. Um, and, and that might actually be more possible during COVID tide than it's ever been before. Mm. You know, one of the things that I do love uh, remembering growing up was seeing my parents pray and read um, and just live out their call. Now they wouldn't be like, Hey, look at us, you know? And, but it was just, you know, when I would pass by their room, you know, just seeing them and that, you know, on their knees praying um, is to me, it is so important for us to see again, not by hypocrisy or by, Hey, everybody, you know, let me take a selfie while I'm praying. Um, you know, and then you see the mirror in the background, and they are taking a selfie, but they're pretending they're not, et cetera. <laughs> but, you know, um, I think it's, it's also important, especially for our families who are with us or, you know, anybody who can see that, 
Uh, so, you know, and I've also, also I'm a big proponent of, about no secrets. And uh, so this kind of gives me just, a, it's a little bit, I wonder what the, and, and you guys, you know, those of you who have studied Greek and all that may know what, what that actually means, but that just gives me just a little bit of pause and also with the reward. Um, so I just feel, you know, right now, um, we just, we're doing, like you were saying, you know, we're doing so many things quietly with ourselves. And so we're kind of living this without really knowing. And I agree with, uh, with Bishop about, you know, a lot of times they, people do so many amazing things. And that's one of the things that I love to, you know, to gather from my Episcopal friends and just me highlight it, you know, maybe they won't because they don't want to, you know, just like show off or whatever. Also mm -hmm. my, uh, my own as a uh, Latina and indigenous, I'm not supposed to, you know, share what I've done. Um, so I like to highlight other people, especially those who, who, who can't or don't because of their own uh, cultures and traditions. Um, but I think, you know, bringing it up, us bringing someone else up is, is also a good way to share the good news, uh, even in these very difficult times. Hmm. I think about like the, when I think of the secret, I think about like when you're when you're on the hill, um, you're there by yourself. And so in, in the sense, it's this not necessarily secret as in other people don't know about it, but secret in the sense that it's really about you and the creator and you being with creation and how are you. So more like to sort of, um, get rid of all the outside influences that might be affecting what's going on in your life. Mm. And I know that during that time, we also fast a lot and, you know, nobody eats or drinks anything. And so I've been thinking about that over this year. And my usual thing that I learned from my friend was she's like, Indian people, we gave up our land and our culture and our children and our religion and blah, blah, blah. We've given up enough. We do not need to fast anymore. And um, I've sometimes <laughs> talked about that. Other times I've kind of thought about, you know, um, I usually talk about it as, you know, like fasting is more for those with privilege to understand what it might be like without it. And I think we've all sort of in this COVID time lost something, whether it be, you know, a friend or a relative, like physically they died or, you know, lost a job. I think we've all can connect to that in some ways. So at the end of Matthew, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasured on earth. Um and it says also, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And I've been thinking about that as Episcopalians. Um, I know we're not as wealthy as we used to be, but we are very much thought of as this very like big, uh, you know, institutional church. Um, what do what do you think about that? Where does that land for you? I have so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> And I share often. Um, one of the things that has, has been in my brain and on my heart for many years, um, you know, it's th those buildings that we have and those um, organs and uh, things that a lot of uh, Episcopalians um, struggle, a lot of churches struggle, you know, later in life to continue to um, have the money and the funds to, you know, keep them up. And I wonder what it would be like if we would open our spaces. And I know a lot of people have, and of course, right now it, it may not be possible for some, but I would love for all of our spaces to be open to uh, the world, to the communities, to 
people who are needy um, and needing some either warmth or food, et cetera. You know, so I think about that instead of us, you know, trying to, oh my goodness, we need, you know, $10 million so that we can redo our organ and our windows. But how about we, um, you know, maybe take off those windows in a way, or if possible, something, how do we reimagine, re-envision our spaces uh, so that, um, you know, they can, we can help others? Um, Sandra, I really appreciate what you, what you're saying there, because I think the, the heart piece of it has really been tested, right? Has our heart been in the church buildings or has our heart been in the church corporate and the church people, right? You know, and, and that has been put to the test a little bit during Lent. You know, people, uh, people are very frustrated when they can't come to their building uh, and during COVID in particular, I mean. Um, and so I, I think it's a really important question as we begin to think about what the church is going to continue and evolve to be, where's our treasure stored? Is it in the beautiful building or is it in the spiritual nature? So I think it's a great point that you've raised. Yeah, I I will echo that. Um, I I, I have to ask the question, you know, as the church, what is our heart? Um, Mm. Because I I don't think, I mean, this is going to sound odd, but I think this pandemic was perhaps one of the best things to happen to the church because it's Definitely, making us right. actually ask the question, what is our purpose? Yeah. Um, why are we here? What's at the heart of what we do? Um, and right. I think our buildings became a great distraction from making mm-hmm. some of the changes and the kind of stepping forward or stepping out in faith that we needed to do 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So in a sense, this has kind of sped up some of the things that were happening in the church. Um, and asking what exactly is our treasure? Is it a jeweled looking building that's beautiful or is our treasure being engaged in our communities and transforming lives and sharing the good news? Absolutely. Um, and if, if, we're, if we're still pining for our beautiful buildings, and don't get me wrong, I love a Gothic building with, with stained glass windows, but if we're still pining for that, but not pining to do ministry and you know, especially the, ministry, the work in the ministry of social justice and you know, reconciling our world, I, I think we've put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> That's right. That's right. One of the things I noticed <clears throat> is like when stress happens on the system, people can kind of do t- one of mm. two things. You know, some people will become very insular and they're like kind of this hoarding mentality, which we saw all over our society. And then you see other communities, the more collectivistic ones, or and often those are the ones in poverty. I'm thinking about the reservations where folks are like, how can I share my commodities with you? Who needs food this day? You know, we got some canned pork or whatever we get from the government. How are we sharing it? And they're really trying to connect and figure out how to do that. And I saw that in the tribal governments trying to do the work that they do. And this made me think of that. Like, what are we considering our treasures? Yeah. Our treasure, the relationships we have with people? Is our treasure the the people themselves? Is it our building? Yeah. Is it our prayer book? Is it our, you know, whatever, all of those kind of questions. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Isaiah. I, I love um, some of the things that are said in here, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about them. How might that prophecy hit us differently this year, especially the parts about, it is not this the fast that I choose? Well, I, I love the line, um, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. 
Um, it, it sounds a lot like what's been happening in our nation with the protests mm -hmm. and, and the same thing that's happening in the church that we're actually beginning to have some substantive conversations around race and racial reconciliation and inclusion and whatnot. Um, and I don't think the church would have chosen this. Mm. I don't think we would have willingly said, oh, yeah, let's talk about race. Let's talk about systematic racism. Let's talk about racism in the church. Um, yeah. I, I think we talked around the edges of it in the past. And this fast that the pandemic has given us means that we now have to actually wrestle with some really difficult things that we would have been too polite as Episcopalians to not want to deal with. Oh, I think that's so true, especially the the practice, the spiritual practice of fasting, I, at least within my congregation and all the congregations I've ever served in, um, people, many Episcopalians are really hesitant to even imagine doing it, let alone jumping in and doing it. Um, they mm -hmm. find that to be like a, a far too extreme thing uh, often. And, and so I think it really goes to what you're saying, Bishop. I mean, like, we don't choose fasts very often, uh, let alone one that has been this extreme. And yet, the, the, a fast does something for that clarifying agent, kind of gets the heart of something. When you're really hungry and really tired and really at your wit's end, you start, you start getting more creative. You start getting a little more hungry for justice, right? You get a little more uh, ready to act. And, and so I think there's a clarifying agent with this fast that we probably would not have chosen. I agree very much so. Hmm. I like where it says, is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself. So, you know, uh, it, it puts like a time limit on that one, but then the fast that I choose is all of these other things that have no um, limits um, of our uh, social justice and, um, you know, of being, of bringing the good news uh, that God loves us all and that we are beloved. And I think that is very important. I, you know, I, I am hopeful, but at the same time, I'm also just wondering, I know that everybody says we can't go back to no quote unquote, you know, what we were before. And I sure hope that truly happens, especially in the Episcopal church. Um, I, I pray that we can see that what we were doing before was not conducive to, to mm -hmm. being Christians and to being followers of Jesus and to being uh, social justice uh, minded. Um, so I'm really, really hopeful that this will, you know, this kind of fast will continue, um, you know, but at, at the same time, a lot of us also in the Episcopal churches have, you know, given food to the poor, you know, uh, given things like for homeless, et cetera. And yet that's where it stays. There's no mm. deeper, um, the relationship it's, it's only, okay, here you go, here you go, but stay over there. It's not, you know what, let's have this relationship. Let's chat while you're doing this. And I think that's one thing that we're missing as a church is to build those relationships that, that can show people um, that God is real, that God's love is real, that, you know, and, and I'm not trying to make Episcopalians. I'm trying to just share God's good news mm -hmm. to people. And I'm hopeful for that this time, especially like, you know, like the numbers, you know, I know that we, we worry so much about our numbers. We worry so much about the money that comes in. Um, and that, because I'm a lay person, I don't have to worry so much about that. But I know that a lot of clergy people do, and I get it. And I hope that right now, you know, in our diocese also, we're, we're thinking creatively 
of, you know, it doesn't matter if five people are in the pews. It matters what these five people are doing in the world. Um, because, you know, um, on Zoom, it may be 30 people, but on Facebook Live, it may be 300 people. And those are the people that are getting even just that one little thing, the mustard seed that could change their lives. Um, as a teacher, you know, a very, I mean, maybe one or two people, maybe five in all my 21 years as a teacher, did anybody tell me, you know, I remember when I was in second grade, blah, blah, blah. But I do know I've heard from other people that their lives have been touched by me who have come back and said something, you know, so we don't know how, how many people we actually touch. Um, and so I feel like we should always be just be that Jesus to everyone, you know, just sharing those the good news of Jesus. I may not be able to clothe you, but I'm going to stand here yeah. with you and just, you know, space. And I, whole I space think that relates you. a little to that gospel word that you're right. I mean, the word secret is problematic, but the, but maybe one side of it is the idea that we, the impact we have is likewise secret, right? You know, like we don't, we don't know all the ways, the secret ways the spirit works in the world. We don't know all the secret ways that our impact might be if, when we, when we work for the spirit and for Christ. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to kind of wonder about, you know, like what's, what's the, what's our impact and can we be satisfied with not a big flashy one? You know, it starts with sound the trumpet and all that, but like maybe, maybe the trumpet we're sounding is for other people to, to come and be fed. Um, and instead of us being like, check it out, look how many people we fed today. Right. And while keeping them at arm's length. Well, it, it's interesting. If I remember correctly, the word that trans, secret is not a very good translation. The, the, the word is, is closer to um, yet to be revealed. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so it puts it in a completely different context that something that is yet to be revealed. I mean, and in a sense, that's that's the Episcopal Church. We are the best kept secret more often than not. We are yet to be revealed. Um, but looking at the Isaiah, I love that. I love how it ends. Your ancient ruins yes. will be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called repairer of the breach and restorer of the streets to live in. Um, I mean, th there, there's so much hope in that. And yeah. I, the, the challenge is to despair in this moment rather than look at this moment as a time for, for hoping for the church that, that can be. I mean, I've, I've controversially, I guess, have said, I'm not interested in more Christians. <laughs> I'm interested yeah. in followers of Jesus. And those are two very different piece out of people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the word Christian has its own set of baggage. Um, but if mm -hmm. we're following Jesus, that's different. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that this is what, I, I think this pandemic time gives us an opportunity to stop being what I call stained glass Christians <laughs> that do ministry at arm's, <laughs> at arm's length and become actual followers of Jesus to, to do and say yeah. the things that he actually did. Um, because one of the things for me that was both challenging and um, eye-opening is that when Barna back in 2017 did a, a study with millennials and asked them, you know, if you hear the word Christian, what's the, the number, what word comes to mind? Number one was judgmental and number two was homophobic. Yep. Loving, mm. inviting, welcoming did not even make the list. And wow. so for me, I said, you know what? We don't need any more Christians. <laughs> we have enough of those. We need some folks who are going to follow yeah. Jesus 
and who are actually going to yes. be out there and walk with people who would be repairers of the breach. And for me, this moment is ripe for the church because the bar has never been lowered. <laughs> yep. Got nowhere to go but up. I mean, I mean, let's think about this. On a Sunday morning, I can put on my fuzzy Chewbacca slippers, keep on my pajamas, sit in front of a computer and worship any place in the world. Yep. Yep. I mean, even if you don't go to church, you on Facebook on a Sunday morning, just scroll through your feed, you are going to hit somebody worshiping somewhere. So the, the bar <laughs> for people engaging with the church has never been lower. And it's kind of like, see, seize our moment to be those repairers of the breach. You know, step into that work of saying, we are going to reconcile um, racial tension in our society. We are going to speak out on the behalf of the poor and those who are unhoused. We are going to stand up for trans and BL, LGBTQ plus. I mean, for folks to actually see who we are as a church, it has never yeah. been easier. That's right. Yeah. And and, and what the end of this message calls me to mind with what you're saying is we're following Jesus. And what I what Isaiah is telling us here, where are we following him to? What would what will it look like? You know, it'll it'll look like a watered garden where justice reigns. You know, where we actually have streets that are safe and and that everybody can be in at all times of day and night uh, you know this is this is the sort of thing where people won't be hungry anymore that's i want to follow jesus there i i'd like to go there absolutely and and this is why it's so so pivotal that we actually are willing to step into this moment wholeheartedly uh, embracing it and 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 welcoming yeah and the episcopal church is so well set up for it uh, I mean, we're very progressive. We're very open. Uh, we're, we love everyone and everybody can, you know, you can come with your culture. You can come with your, even with your own religion. And we're here saying, yes, come yeah. on, you know, let's just be together. Um, you know, um, Buttigieg did such a, I felt did such a great service for us as just showing how inclusive mm. we can be. And that is so important for the world to see, especially like, like, uh, you're saying, Dion, that, you know, about the homophobic, I hear that all the time about Christians. And, and I always tell them not, not these Christians, yeah. you know, not us. So, you know, there's, there are also different types of Christians. And like you said, I mean, if we follow Jesus, those, anything homophobic, etc., would not be part of our descriptors. I, I've been changing my language to call us followers of Jesus rather than using the word Christian, because like I said, it, Christian comes with a whole bunch of baggage. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a little bit more clarifying to say that we're going to try to follow where Jesus has led us. Yeah. Yeah. And if people aren't at least a little bit terrified about actually following Jesus, they're doing it wrong because it's pick up your cross and follow me, <laughs> right? Not like, you know, come tra-la-la down the lane. It's you know, like, it's, it's a, it's a full, it's a full body, full lifetime uh, activity to follow Jesus. And, uh, and, and yet in doing so, back to that joy piece again, uh, that, that to me is what's so beautiful about Ash Wednesday. It's, it's not just the grief and the hardship, it's the vision of this, of this kind of joy um, that, that makes this journey with Jesus so hope-filled and so necessary. Well, you, you touched on something that I think that we probably need to do some more of, and it's the naming of the grief. Yes. 
because until until we name those places of hurt, until we name those breaches that have been broken, um, until we actually say the things that have been done, we live with the scars of those, and the the wound doesn't heal. Amen. Um, and I, I I honestly think that this this Lent is again kind of pulling Isaiah is an opportunity to name before God the places where we as a church, as individuals, as communities have fallen short. Mm. Um, because again, if, unless we name them, they just continue to be, well, they just continue to be, you know, they, they, they fester. Um, and I think Isaiah, you know, I mean, I, I love that um, loosing the bonds of justice and, you know, the streets that are, 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 are safe for everybody um, but we have to name that the streets are not safe for everybody. <laughs> we have to say that we, we, we must name that justice is not equal. Um, we, we, we must say that brown and black bodies are treated differently than, I mean, all of those things until we as a church, until we as followers of Jesus can claim them, they're just hanging out there. That's right. Um, and yeah. so, you know, if, if you can't repair a breach that you know is that you don't know is broken. You know, it makes me think a really fascinating mm -hmm. sermon for Ash Wednesday might be the difference between the word secret and that to be revealed, right? Because because we like to keep things secret mm -hmm. that we don't want to talk about, right? We don't want to talk about the systematic mm -hmm. racism, uh, the patriarchy. We don't we don't want to talk about all that stuff that makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to do the hard work of fasting and, and made to you know feel slightly. Uh, less good because we didn't have a bagel today, you know, like this sort of stuff. We don't, we like to keep that stuff really secret and try to put this polite little glaze on it. But when we keep it secret, then we can never get to revelation. We can never get to what's actually supposed to be manifesting these, these visions that we've been talking about. Right. And, and Ash Wednesday doesn't let us get away with that. It's, it's, this is, you are, you are absolutely dust <laughs> and to dust you shall return. And you are a child who is beloved in the eyes of God. And between those two things, like that's truly who we are. So I, I mean, thank you. Y'all you, may have given me my sermon on the difference between keeping secrets and, and actually bringing forth revelation. Well, you know, I love how Isaiah starts, announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob, their sins. I mean, trust me, I love, I would love to be doing that. All right, so we're <laughs> That name, all your sins. All right, so Dion, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, honestly, and Isaiah knows this, Shaniqua knows this, that's like my dream. Like, I would love to have a blog that would be like, all right, guys, here we go. This is the week in the Episcopal <laughs> Church. Here are her and her rebellions. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's amazing how timeless, I mean, if folks actually go through and read this Isaiah passage, it it. it it reads like it could be coming from the, you know, yesterday's New mm -hmm. York Times. Yep. I mean, the, the <laughs> same things. I mean, shift some of the fat, some of the language a bit, but it, it, it's the same thing. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's injustice. It's it's saying one thing and doing another. It's it's you know continuing to ignore those who are hungry. I mean, it, it, it's it's the same thing. Um, and I think that the the both the naming and the hoping are juxtaposed again um, and held in tension in, in, in this Ash Wednesday ether that we live in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How might we think about um, preaching on this? We have a couple of ideas. And um, I, I think one of my concerns when I've talked to people about those naming of the things, 
people get scared. I, I did a couple sermons where I talked about Black Lives Matter and I got chewed out a little bit. Not really chewed out, but you know what I mean? They're like, we don't know if we want you talking anymore. <laughs> and so well, how, do doing we, it right how do we encourage, <laughs> what, what do you think they could preach on the how do we encourage folks to do that? And where do you think a good like angle might be? Tips for preaching maybe. I just read Isaiah. I mean, who, who, after you actually listen to the Isaiah reading, I don't think you need a sermon. <laughs> just kind of read it a couple I mean, times. A, yeah. Yeah. Have a dramatic reading of the Isaiah story and, you know, you know, throw some, throw some good things in it. But like, literally, if you read, if you actually pay attention to the words in scripture, if, if we actually yeah. meditate on what it actually says, I, if Isaiah does not convict us for this time, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I've been playing with the tension between dying and death um, and, and that they're not the same thing. Like sometimes the process it takes for us to actually be willing to, to let something go so that something new can be resurrected, which only comes with death, um, can take a, can take a very, very long time. Like the dying can actually suck the life out of you a little bit. And I think the invitation here with Isaiah is enough already, you know, enough, like let, let that, which is killing this society go, let it, let it die Mm. so that something new can be resurrected in its place. Mm. Um, and, and that to me is, is, it's hard to hear that because when, when we, when we're clenching to something so tightly, we don't want to let it die. It's, it's very, very difficult to hear the, it's okay to let it go now, but but that's the only time that we feel that new birth of, of, of life. Uh, and that's, we're resurrection people. Even at the beginning of Lent, we're resurrection people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I'm invited to preach, it's usually, you know, I'm there once and that's it. So I get to say all <laughs> you these get to Bring in the bombs, uh, truth bombs, and then just leave. I love it. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, there's this uh, saying in Spanish, this guy, you know, there's a uh, a meme and a video of this man. He's really drunk and they're like tr- taking him out of the party or whatever. And he says, if you know how I get, why do you why did you invite me? You know, so I feel the same way. Like if you all have known me at all for a month and you look at my social media, you know what I'm about. So why did you invite me if you, if you didn't think that I was going to say these things? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm pretty transparent. So for me, um, but at the same time, as a lay person who loves to hear uh, preaching, I, as always, I want to have hope. I want to know that there is hope for me, a brown person in this country, in this church. Uh, I want to know that there is a place for me in 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 God's, uh, you know, just in God's world and in in Jesus's mind. That's what I want to know. So yes, call me to action and also remind me that there is hope. Like you're saying that we are uh, a people of, of the resurrection. That is what I keep saying. Yes, maybe the, the Episcopal Church is dying and that's okay. We will resuscitate also because we are children of the resurrection. So for me, that's that's important. You know, Call me to action and remind me that there is hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, like like you said, sorry. I mean, like, like you said, in many ways, this church needs to die. I probably will get in trouble for saying that as a bishop, but hey, um, but in many ways, our church needs to die. Um, the challenge is um, recognizing that out of death comes resurrection. 
I mean, we preach it all the time. The question is, do we actually believe it? Um, right. Because un until we actually die, until we let go of some things that are, that are holding us back, we're spinning our wheels and doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so one of the questions that I, whenever I do a visitation, either virtual or in person with the congregations here, one of the questions I always ask is, what do you need to let go of so that something new can grow here? That's it. Thank you. Um, yes. That's Ash Wednesday to a T. Yeah. And it goes right back to that, where is your heart question we started with from the gospel, right? Because then your treasure will be there too. So mm -hmm. if our heart is in the institution, if our heart is in the building, then up, like we've got an issue because that, that part is the thing that we need to, to let go of. So something new can grow in its place. If our heart of the church is in Christ, we'll be just fine because that, that just keeps getting resurrected. Mm -hmm. So we'll be fine. I mean, and he was not exactly uh, nice no. and comforting to the good religious people of his time. So, I mean, let, let's remember Jesus, Jesus did not get crucified for being nope. nice. Nope. They very rarely <laughs> crucify the nice amongst us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he, 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 he preached some hard sermons, especially to the people that he loved the most. And so, uh, yes. you know, if, if someone's upset by something you say in a sermon, to me, that is okay. It means that we are actually hearing yeah. and hopefully being able yeah. to, I mean, we respond to that, which makes us uncomfortable. And for me, and, and uh, if you're in church, you should be uncomfortable. Yes. Amen. Amen. We're not called to be comfortable. Pick up your cross ever. and follow me. Right. Like I said, like you gotta be a little scared <laughs> in the good way. In the, in the like, wow, I feel I feel motivated to actually take this seriously, to actually see this as a, as a big deal. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder about the comfort thing. And I think like I preach very different sermons to like privileged folks or folks from a majority white culture than I would, for example, <clears throat> to the like native congregation that we have at the cathedral. Those are going to be two very different sermons that I tend to preach for mm -hmm. them. And so I, I'm in a unique position where I'm walking into most congregations having not known too much about, you know, who's in the pew in a sense. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but yeah. in, in many instances in my, um, in my, the short time that I've been a bishop, um, I have just preached for me the truth. Um, yes mixing yes. that with comfort, but also challenge. I mean, if, if you were not challenged at the end of the, 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 the interchange of preaching, um, I have not done my job. So you, you, you should be right. squirming a little bit and nodding your head a little bit. <laughs> so um, the, depending on the day, there might be more head nodding and squirming. But, you know, I, I, I think we often get, fall into a place of being comfortable. And the yeah. church has never been called to be comfortable. We are called to be countercultural, and in, in a sense, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, and Bishop, I have found that the most, the most, uh, when people are challenged by something I preach, um, what they what they say to me when they can't argue with yes, racism is bad. You know, when they can't argue with yes, patriots, you know, like this sort of uh, uh, patriarchy is it can be it can be toxic. When they can't argue with that, what they come at me with is, um, I, I come to church to, to feel good and refreshed and comfortable. So that so I, I actually think it's a really important point that that you came to the wrong yeah, building. Yeah, for one, two, you know, <laughs> you want the Kiwanis club oh, down the and corner, and they do, they do, they do want that. But also, you know, the idea that Brene Brown puts it so beautifully, like 
church isn't the place you come to to be comforted. It's the church is the midwife, right, to help you birth something new into this world. And birth ain't comfortable. <laughs> it's a it's a hard, bloody process. And and of course, there's stuff that will comfort you in this service. But, but the comfort isn't oh, I'm walking away here feeling like I'm all hunky-dory and the world is just great. The comfort is, no, Jesus is with us in this discomfort. Like Jesus is with us in this pain. That's the comfort, that we can actually do something about this world. And and when when, when you feel uncomfortable by that message, it means you don't actually want the world to change. And so that message isn't comfortable for you. Like Jesus being in the midst of what? I I don't want it to change. That's, That's hard to have that Jesus show up. Yeah, it's it's like that hymn, you know. I want Jesus to walk with me. Um, it, it really is. If you're saying I want Jesus to walk with me, that walk is not going to be smooth or straight. Mm-hmm. All puns mm-hmm. intended. <laughs> I mean, right. that 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 road is going to be. Uh, it, it's going to be a difficult walk with Jesus. But the thing is, He's walking with us. And I think we 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 tend to forget that that you know. Following Jesus means that we're walking with, sometimes he's ahead, sometimes he's next to us, and sometimes he's kicking us in the rear and telling us to move faster. But he, he's always with us. Um, and I think that's the comfort. Mm-hmm. That in the midst of the discomfort and the yes. un, 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 dis-ease, we can be comforted in knowing that Jesus is always with us. Um, that is all the time we have for today. It's been great. This conversation, I wish we could just keep hearing it, but um, thank you so much, yeah. all of you, for joining us. And um, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and a delight to be with you thank all. You. Thank you for this. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Sandra, Hillary, and Dion. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Phoebe. If you heard something that caught your ear today, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.